morning, church. As we uh, continue with the uh, topic of Beatitudes, I am going to be reading an original from uh, Lois Saylor, um, and it is entitled The Beautiful Sacred, A Shown Mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. There is a way to reach out and not down. There are ones who know your name and pronounce it like a wish. There's a way to wash a wound that eases the sting in the cure. These ones, these are ones who know how to knock and not intrude, who bake and break bread, who spin and weave the colors of thread, the dark of mourning, the lights of love, the shedding reds of birth and graying of the lights. Some know how to hold a hand, the one that reaches out and the one that reaches back. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. They are awake. Um, good morning. Excited to be with you guys again this morning. We're going to be continuing our sermon series on the Beatitudes called Blessings, Promises of the Kingdom. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Um, as usual, I've been reading all of the Beatitudes, and that's to help us hold on to this idea that we're not just supposed to look at them one and, and keep separating them, which is funny to say when you preach on one at a time. But it's true. We need to look at them together because it's a composite picture um, that God's painting. Jesus uses this picture to show us what life in his kingdom looks like. Um, just like we don't take a bite of food and say we're full, some of us. Um, just like we don't watch 30 seconds of a movie and think we got everything about the movie. Um, this is a snapshot that we do week by week, but we need the whole picture. And reading helps fleshes that out for us. Uh, also with these Beatitudes, it's a reminder that the promises that Jesus makes here are beautiful for many reasons. One of which is that Jesus comes to reveal the Father. And there's nothing Jesus promises here that his Father hasn't already promised the people of God in the Old Testament. But lastly, and I think this is probably the most challenging part about the Beatitudes, is we need to come with a posture. And this posture says simply this. If this is a teaching of Jesus, we are to come to learn. If this is a, a Jesus' call of how we are to live, we have to be willing to answer that call. And lastly, we know that salvation comes by Jesus alone, but what the Beatitudes do for us is they challenge us as a way of life. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 5. Uh, we'll also have it up front so you can follow up front as well. Matthew 5, 1 to 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that we serve a merciful God. 
We thank you that a God who's moved to compassion is filled with love, grants mercy to all. God, we pray this morning that we can learn what it means that not only that God is merciful, but he calls us to be merciful. God, help us to be love, help us to be grace, help us to be compassion, help us to be mercy to a world crying out for grace, love, compassion, and mercy. Father, help us to be merciful as you are always merciful. In your holy and precious name, amen. amen. In Matthew 5, 7, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. One of the interesting things about mercy is I grew up in the church. It was a great blessing to grow up in the church. And mercy is a word we heard all the time. But no one really bothered to define it for me. You know, the closest I got the definition of mercy is when I did something wrong or, or I broke something in the house and my aunt or my mom would go, Lord, have mercy. And I was gracious for that mercy that they took from the Lord and gave to me because it usually meant I could sit or I could breathe. Just think about it. It'll hit you. It might come a couple days later. But we do discipline a little bit different in my family, I guess. But I always heard this word mercy, but I don't think I knew what it meant. I just knew that it's something God is and it's something God gives. But my only kind of framing of mercy was when I did something wrong, they would say, Lord, have mercy. And I would be like, Lord, have mercy too. I also grew up going to camp. And, and, and going to camp, I remember one time we had a speaker. And the speaker says, I want to talk to you about grace and mercy. And I felt very confident on grace. Like, oh, I know grace. I got this one. I got grace. But when he said mercy, I'm going to pay attention now, right? And when he got to mercy, he said, mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And to be honest, for where I was at the time, that was a great definition. You know, because I was like, well, praise God, I'm not getting what I deserve. You know, praise God when I do wrong, he's merciful. But as I've gotten older, I realize and recognize that that's a very punitive understanding of mercy. And it's so punitive that I think it shortchanges what God's mercy really is. Because it's not just a get out of jail free card. It's not just fire insurance. It's not a, 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 an emergency break glass. God's mercy is deeper than that. God's mercy is compassion. How many times in the scriptures do you see Jesus himself move with compassion and then he loves? That's mercy. Or how many times in the scripture do you see God forgive when he's moved with love? Because that's mercy. See, mercy is not just getting, you know, what, or, or, or getting, not getting what we do deserve. Mercy is God choosing grace over power. Because God has the power to say, you have fallen short. God has the power to say, go away and have nothing to do with me. God has the power to say, you will never be good enough. But yet he chooses grace. He chooses love. He chooses compassion. He chooses to welcome we, his lost children, back home again. Because mercy is more than not getting what we do deserve. Mercy is God who's compassion. Mercy is God who's grace. Mercy is God who's forgiveness. And as I started wrestling with what mercy is, I, there were several scriptures that just jumped out at me, and I saw them anew. You know, in the Psalms, it says, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. How many of us are here this morning because God is gracious, amen? How many of us are here this morning celebrating because the God we worship is a God who's full of compassion? How many of us can breathe a little bit easier because God is slow to anger, Amen. We know because of living and walking with God that, that he's great in mercy, that our God is good and good to me, but he's good to all. 
But how about the end of that verse when it talks about mercy? It says, his tender mercies are over all his works. This is the God who spoke the world into existence, yet his mercy is greater than anything we see. This is a God who crafted and created all of us, what you look like, what you think like, your story, your history. This is a God who crafted everything, yet his mercy is greater than all his works. What is God's mercy? It's the thing about God that's greater than anything else he's ever done. What about lamentations? In these songs of deep mourning comes hope. In these songs of deep crying and mourning, the writer says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In this world, you will have trouble. Our world is broken. Our world is, is dark. Our world is not as it should be. And if we're honest, if we take it off our world and we put it on ourselves, we can say that too, can't we? We can go to God and say, we are broken. We are not as we should be. We fall short. But praise God through his mercies that we are not consumed. Praise God that it's not about the world being all these things. Because in Christ Jesus, we are not consumed. Why? Because God's compassions fail not. Not only are his mercies greater and over all his works, they are new every morning. Because here's the thing about this life, you need God's mercy today. But guess what? You'll need God's mercy tomorrow. And three days from now, and 30 years from now, you will always need more of God's mercies. And what a blessing it is to stay here and say, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I don't know what mercy you need today. I don't know what mercy you'll need tomorrow, but I know the God who will always grant you his mercy, amen? Because his compassions fail not. We have a God who says my mercy is greater than anything I've ever done. We have a God who promises you, I will give you mercy every single day and every single day there'll be a new mercy for you. And then you get to Ephesians where Paul says, but God who is rich in mercy, and we like that, rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God's mercy is greater than anything he's ever done. God's mercy is new every morning, but praise God that God's mercy isn't dependent on our goodness. Praise God that God's mercy isn't dependent on our being perfect. Praise God that his mercy comes to us even if right now we're walking in sin. God's still merciful. Even if we're not living as we should, even if we're leaving good left undone, even if we're not living and loving like Christ lived and loved, God's mercy is still afforded to us. God's mercy is not dependent on you being good, on you being perfect. It's only been on God being God, and he's merciful. So even in the darkness, his mercy will shine. And even in your deadness, God is willing to make you alive because of his great mercy, because of his great love. And probably my favorite aspect of God's mercy is what Paul says to the Corinthians. Now, I grew up going to camp, and then the first, my first camp experience was actually, God has a sense of humor, because I think I was in North Jersey at the time, and I went to camp in central Pennsylvania in this little town called Chambersburg. Perhaps you've heard of it. I don't think I've been back since then, but, but I went to this camp. And I remember after moving to that camp, I went to Iroquoina, which was in like the Pennsylvania, New York border, upstate New York, and, and, and a lot of my, my, my memories of my faith was, was formed at Iroquoina. I remember my first year at Iroquoina, 
I was in a cabin, and, and, and I was always young for my age, you know, so I would always get put up with these kids, and, and they're always older than me, and, and I don't know about, you know, I'm not a very tall person, you know, like our kids are like in the 97th percentile, and we're trying to stop drinking milk or something. Um, we don't know what's going on there. But like when I started high school, for example, I was 4'11", 90 pounds, right? Like I was like this tall probably, right? So when I was 12 years old, just use your imagination, right? So I was always with bigger kids, you know? But I was smarter than them in my head, so I, that's how I survived, right? But I remember this one year, my first year, there was a kid named John. And, and in a weird way, we're very, very different, you know? He was suburban, I was urban. He was Canadian, wherever that Canada place is, and I was American now, right? Um, he was white, I was black, you know? He's different family, all this stuff. But for some reason, we connected. You know, we connected and, and really got to know each other. And, that, and I remember, like, like, leaving home, I was like, I made a camp friend, you know? I was super excited. The next year, you know, I turned 14, I think, and I was finally eligible now to work at camp. And that was like a big thing for us, like working at camp. Like that's what like the cool kids did, right? And I remember that summer, John's sister, who's actually incidentally my age, came and worked that summer. And I was like, where's John? He's my camp friend. And, and he was working at another camp, you know? And it's like, you're trying to feel like not betrayed, right? And it's just like, God, Lord, have mercy. But I remember that summer, you know, it was, it, was, it was one week after my camp was done. I was working on staff, and, and we got an email, which is how we communicated back then, I guess, right? We got an email, and it said, hey, we need to pray for John. You know, he was in a terrible accident at this camp. John was on a canoe boat, and, and I'm not sure all the details still, but I think someone or something fell into the water, and when he got in there, he hit his head on the way down and went to the bottom, and they, 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 they rushed to get him out, but he had been under for so long that we just needed to pray for him. I remember watching my friend wrestle with faith in God. I remember watching her, you know, we were 14 years old, and, and, and here's her brother, who she knew her entire life, was on death's bed. I remember the end of that week, when we got news that John had passed. I remember looking my friend in my eye, and, and, and I remember looking her in the eye, and, and there's two things that happened. The first one is I realized something about grieving and mourning. See, up until that point, I wasn't a stranger to death. My father was killed when I was seven years old. I, I was a child of a civil war. You know, I, I survived civil war by God's grace. Like, my mom tells these stories, and I just look at her, and I was like, I don't remember it. I, I think that's a God's mercy, just blocking it out, because I literally don't remember so many things that we went through. But I realized looking at my friend that her entire life, she only knew her brother. He was her best friend, her protector, her muse in a way. He was brilliant, he was smart, he was caring. And now he was in heaven. And I remember looking at her and I, I, it was the first time in my life I recognized something. That I never made sense of my dad dying when I was seven years old. Until I looked her in the eyes and I realized that what Paul said is true. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are also in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God's mercy is given to us to help us when we grieve, when we struggle, when we're suffering. But praise God, his mercy isn't just for you. And praise God if you give those struggles to God, those sufferings to God, that, that darkness to God, that pain to God. If you give it to him, I guarantee you as long as we're on this side of heaven, there will come a day where God will ask you to take some of that mercy you've received and give it to someone else because they need it in that moment. Yeah. 
And I learned that at 14 years old, watching my friend grieve, because all I had was one week of my camp friend. She had 14 years of memories. But watching her grieve and just being able to sit and say, I don't know the pain you're going through, but I know God's got you. I don't know what it's like to, to know someone your whole life and them not be there anymore, but I know God's merciful. I know God's good. And I can tell you about the pain I've been through, but I can tell you, you can come out on the other side too. And I'm grateful that we're friends, you know, 20 years later. And I'm grateful that her faith wasn't just rocked, but she's become a rock in praising Jesus Christ for how she lives. Amen. God's mercy is greater than anything he's ever done. God's mercy is afforded anew to you every day. God's mercy saves you even right now if you're in darkness. But praise God, God's mercy will always comfort you. And if you give it to him, he will use you to comfort others. Praise God for his mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So what is mercy that Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, 7? Well, I think there's two huge components that Jesus is talking about in this beatitude. The first one is simply this. Give mercy, for you have received great mercy. Give mercy, for you have received great mercy. In Matthew 18, Jesus has a parable about the unmerciful, the unforgiving servant. And this parable is, you know, one of the other camp definitions I heard about parables that stuck with me was, it was earthly stories with heavenly meanings, right? The idea was that everyone would, would know what Jesus is talking about, and then he had this greater truth that he was attaching to stories that everyone could relate to. But the more I studied parables, the more I realized that they may have known what Jesus was talking about, but sometimes I don't. And in looking and re-looking at this parable this morning, I guarantee you there's going to be a new way to look at it, maybe, unless you just like math, right? Unless you read scriptures with your calculator, this might be new to some of you this morning because it was new to me. But in this parable, Peter actually starts it off, and I love Peter. You know, I love Jesus. Jesus is probably my favorite person in the Bible. Number two is Peter. The reason I love Peter is there's no one in the history of all the Bible who I can relate more to than that guy. Now, some of you have your heroes, and I would challenge if you can actually really relate to those people. I mean, you can aspire to them. That's great. But can you relate to them? Peter is one of my heroes because I relate to that guy, right? Like, they're all in the boat, and there's someone walking on water. And Jesus says, hey, it's cool, guys. It's me. And everybody else says, well, that's great. What if Peter says, are you sure? Because if you're sure, I want to come out there with you. I relate to that guy, you know? I'm a peace person. I believe that Jesus has called us to a life of nonviolence. But I can see a situation where if, you know, a garrison of people are coming to try to take my Lord and Savior, I might whip out a sword and see if I can do something. Probably can't do much, but I can at least relate to it. Like, I love Peter because I relate to him on so many deep levels. And this is what I love about Before we get to the parable, Peter walks to Jesus. And, and what I love about this is, He's trying. He's trying really hard. And we missed this part. So Peter goes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister? Can I forgive them seven times? You know, and before we dog Peter, some of us need to realize that we're still struggling with one. You know, it's just like, like Peter's actually starting at seven. We're still struggling with that one thing to forgive people of. One of the new things I learned in America was families that stopped talking to each other because they wouldn't forgive each other. Like, in my culture, like, that, that's just, like, that's weird to us, right? Because your family's always going to annoy you. So it's like, how live that way that you cut them off? Like, you will always do something to not get along, so just get over it, right? 
That's my culture. I'm not going to put that on you. You can think about that later, right? But some of us struggle with forgiving one thing. And we need to honor Peter here because Peter comes with seven. You know, he's like, seven times, Lord? So that's the first thing. Realize that Peter's actually trying. The second one is Peter's going above and beyond. See, in Jewish culture, and it's taken from, from, from God through the prophet Amos in Amos 1 and 2, where Israel has been for generations breaking the covenant of God, breaking the covenant of God. And God says, if you're not honoring me, if you're not faithful to me, you will lose your land. You will lose this promised land I've given you. And in Amos 1 and 2, God forgives them once. God forgives them twice. God forgives them three times. And the fourth time, God is like, okay, fine, you've broken the covenant now. So Peter is going above and beyond, right? We struggle with one. His culture says three. Peter comes with what? Seven, right? So he comes with seven. He says, you know what? My culture tells me I need to forgive three times. So I'm going to double that and add one more to make it perfect. Jesus, can I forgive seven times? And he's feeling good about it. And he should be. But it's the thing, right? If we are the arbiter of what's good, if we are the ones that determine what's the best, it might not always be God's best, even though we're doing our best foot forward. God has to be the arbiter of good. So Peter comes with like, is seven good enough? Because I'm going above and beyond the three that they do. Can I do seven? And that's why translators have fun. So I grew up reading 70 times seven. Some translations will put 77 in a little, a little thing. It's like, we're not sure if it's 77 or 490. And people, the, the church I grew up in, we used to argue this. They're like, I think he meant 77. No, no, he meant 490, right? I don't know how many brain cells and time we wasted on that, but we thought we were doing something. But the point that Jesus is making is you can't put a number on it. How many times are you to forgive? Always. How many times are you supposed to forgive your brother or sister? Every single time. Is it one? No. Is it three? No. Is it seven? No. Is it 77? That sounds good, but no. 490? Sounds better, but no. Every single time. And to flesh this out, Jesus tells a story. And there's a story about this servant. And the servant owes a great big debt to his master. And he comes before the master and he says, I cannot do it. I cannot pay this debt. It is just too big. How big did it, was his debt? It was 10,000 talents. And as a kid, when I read this, I'm just like, yo, how is that fair? Can anyone even be that gifted? You know, like I can name, I can name like seven or eight talents I think I have, but 10,000 is a mighty big number, you know? And my Sunday school teacher is like, oh, no, no, that, that, that means money. And I was like, why didn't they just say money? And the NIV finally caught up to me because now they say bags of gold, right? So we're getting there, progress, right? But then the next question becomes, well, the next question becomes, well, well how much is in each bag of gold? Like, how much is each talent? And that's what we found. You know, this is why I say you need a, you need a uh, calculator or you can just go with big, right? I, I, I end with big. I'm going to give you the answer before we get there. So how much was a talent? Imagine someone who makes minimum wage. Full-time job, minimum wage, right? So you figure out how much they make a week. You times it by 52. If you times it by 52, you'll get one year average salary of someone making just a minimum day worker, right? Now, times it by 20. So 20 years of salary of someone working minimum wage equals one talent. How many talents did he owe? 10,000. So if my math is right, you got minimum wage times 40 times 52 times 20 times 10,000. That's how much he owed. And he goes before the master and goes, 
I, I can't. I, I cannot pay this. And the master shows him mercy. He says, it's okay. I forgive you. I forgive your debt. You are now set free. And you got to admit, if you just do some math and maybe you just stopped anywhere in the formula, right? You just got to me where you're like, that's a lot. You know, and I know someone's out there calculating. This is how you guys get a chance to beat the first service. No one gave me the number yet, so go. <laughs> it's a huge debt, and he's forgiven, and there's no way you can leave that not feeling great about it. I mean, how many of you have ever been forgiven? Like 10 people. Oh, there we go. Yeah. See, I can see you, but no one else can because they're supposed to be looking up here, right? <laughs> but if you've been forgiven a lot, and someone forgives you and sets you free, it feels good. But imagine this person's dead. He feels great when he leaves the master. And he walks out. And he's walking down the street. And he sees another servant. Now this servant owes him money. How much does this servant owe? 100 denarii. How much was a denarii? Denarii is like what you earned for one day's work. So 100 would be about three months. So it's almost like, you know, he worked for the person for a summer. And the person didn't pay him. Okay. So let's go back to his original debt. Minimum wage times 40 times 52 times 20 times 10,000. That's how much he's forgiven. This person who owes him, owes him for three months work. Three months. Not 20 years times 10,000. Three months. And he's so angry and aggrieved that this person won't pay the debt that he grips them up, right? He grabs the person and he shakes them, he chokes them, and he throws them in jail. Because how dare you owe me a hundred days work? But the other servants see it. They see it and they're outraged. You know, also at camp, someone told me one time, and this was like big brother on steroids, he said, you know, you're like a book. And I was just like, not with you, man. I'm not tracking, I'm trying trying, you know? It's like, no, no, no. You're like a book. You're always being read, right? Made me paranoid for the whole summer. I was like, who's looking? <laughs> Stop looking at me. But he's right in this point is that this servant's been forgiven big and he has this little debt and he throws the guy in jail for this little debt and the other people who've been looking and reading him like a book, they see and they're outraged because they know how much he's been set free. And they know that how hypocritical it is to be set free of something so large and not forgive something so small. And they run to the master and they said, do you know what Hank has done? Put my name there because it's just easy, you know. I'm going to set somebody's name on law of averages. That person might be here. And it's just like, eh. <laughs> do you know how much he's been set free and what he won't forgive? And the master's outraged. The master's so outraged, he takes the original servant and he throws him in jail. And when we hear this parable, we're like, we feel good. We're like, yeah, how dare you mistreat that other person? You get thrown in jail. Yeah, you deserve it. But you know how Jesus ends that parable? He says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's the heavenly meaning. Jesus doesn't want you to feel all righteous. You know, because you're not as bad as this person. Jesus says, every single time you don't forgive, you fall short of me. And unless you forgive and forgive with your whole heart, that was your entire essence, all of you, your mind, your body, your soul, unless you forgive your, your whole heart, this is how my father will treat you, just like the servant who didn't forgive. And remember the Lord's prayer. 
Lord taught us how to pray. We love the part when it says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, right? It's just like, God forgives me, I forgive, we feel good. But we forget at the end of the prayer, Jesus has these two verses when he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Give mercy, for you have been given great mercy. Give mercy, for you have been given great mercy. Give mercy, for you have been given great mercy. But this does not mean that mercy is easy. It does not mean that forgiveness is easy. God calls us to forgive because we've been forgiven. Forgive little because we've been forgiven lots. But here's the thing. It doesn't mean that forgiveness is easy. And there's four things about forgiveness I want to say real quick. The first one is when Jesus calls you to be merciful and asks you to forgive, he's not saying forgiveness is forgetting because forgiveness is not forgetting. You know, I remember as a kid, you know, I would always like save a piece of chicken for the end of the week because I was like a wrestler. So I had like this crazy diet, which is why I'm grateful I have daughters because they're not going to be on this crazy diet. And I would always like, my, my mom makes it the best fried chicken in the world. It's true. And I would save this piece of chicken and I would keep it in the fridge all week so I can eat it on Friday after my tournament. And, and every month it seemed, you know, I'm not going to name the person's name, Joe, um, who would come and he would always eat my piece of chicken, you know? And I'm telling you, we make fun of Peter for asking seven and we struggle with one. It's been 25 years and I'm still messed up about that piece of chicken. (laughs) God is asking you to forgive. He's not saying forget, which helps me feel good. He's not saying forget he ate your piece of chicken. Just forgive him. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. And I think people need to hear that because a lot of us grew up in situations where we hear forgiveness means forgetting. God forgets in the sense of I'll remember your sins no more. But God knows it's hard for you to forget and just move on. And so many times we make people, forgiving people depend on me and my ability to have closure and move on. That happens with Jesus, with the spirit, with the community and with time. God's not asking you to forget. He's just asking you to forgive. Because here's the thing. God, when he asks you to forgive, he's also not minimalizing your hurt. A lot of times we tell people to forgive and forget. We just want them to get over it. God's not asking you to forget that you're in pain because he knows you can't. God's not asking you to forget that, that this is hard, that you're suffering, that life is just not right, that you've been mistreated. God's not saying forget that you've been hurt. Forget that you've been mistreated. Forget that they did this to you. That's not what he's saying. He's simply saying, forgive. Forgive. Because here's the thing I've learned about forgiveness. Forgiveness is important to us because it sets us free. Here's the thing about forgiveness. When you don't forgive, it's like you take this poison bottle you take this bottle of poison, and when you don't forgive, it's like you just, you, and, and some of us do it a different way. Some of us drink it all at the same time and wonder why our belly hurts. But some of us, because we don't forgive over time, it's like we're sipping. You know, I have, I have a five and three-year-old, so everything's a sippy cup, right? But it's like you're sipping in the sippy cup and wondering why your belly hurts, why your body's not working right, why your mind's not working right, when you're just drinking poison. And here's the thing about it. When you don't forgive and you drink that poison, that other person is not only scot-free, but you resent them being scot-free. 
They hurt me. Why am I still suffering? They hurt me. How come they seem like just everything's okay and it's not okay what they did to me? When you don't forgive, you're just drinking poison and wondering, God, why am I not okay? I'm saying Jesus wants you to forgive so you can drop that poison bottle, so that you can stop drinking out of that poison cup, so that you can be set free. If you're willing to forgive, that's stopping the poison today. And here's the best part. That person might think they're scot-free before, but they're not free until you let them free. And they're not free from their chains. And here's the thing. You get in chains by not forgiving. So not only does forgiveness free you from the chains, but it might also just free them too. Forgive, for you have been forgiven. Give mercy, for you have received great mercy. God desires us to forgive. We need to be a people who look like our Jesus, amen? And one way we do that is through forgiveness. The second thing that Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, is simply this. You have received what in English we called mercy, what the Old Testament people call chesed, and what the New Testament people call agape. Jesus says, you have received chesed. Now chesed like God gives chesed. Following Jesus isn't just saying, I believe in Jesus. No, it's actually living, looking, and loving like Jesus. It's not enough to just say, I believe him. Well, you don't actually follow a thing he asks you to do. It's not enough to say, I believe in him when there's nothing about your life that shows his transformative, transformative power. Following Jesus is more than saying it. It's living, it's looking, it's loving like Jesus. And this is the work of the heart. This means that this is the work of your mind, your body, your soul, making everything come and surrender to God. Now, what is this hesed word? Well, first of all, hesed is my favorite word in all languages. I love this word. I love hesed because it's not just in the Old and the New Testament. I love hesed because it's this combination of mercy. We say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's hesed. But the follow isn't just like the shadow following you around. The word David uses, because David's also a warrior, right? He uses the word that means to chase you down until you're captured. God's mercy will follow you, not like a shadow, but it will chase you down until you're captured. It's love. It's love like God loves. It's kindness. It's grace. The best thing about Hesed I love is simply this. It's loving someone for their best and not necessarily your own, which is completely countercultural. We're told to love ourselves, and that's great. We're told to look out for ourselves. and We can talk about that one. But God wants you to love the people in your life for their best, even if it comes at your own. God seems to think you live for Jesus. You live for others, then you worry about you. It's loving someone for their best and not your own. William Barclay said, Hesed is this idea of, of getting in other person's skin, getting in their point of view. Why forgive? Because if you were on the other side, you would want to be forgiven. So you get in their skin and put yourself on that side. Hesed is how God loves, but more importantly, it's how we are to love. Jesus blesses the merciful because guess what? Jesus is God's love to us. Jesus is God's hesed to us. When we want to know what God's mercy looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God's love looks like, 
Look at Jesus. What does God's kindness and grace look like? Look at Jesus. Because here's the thing about Jesus. He so loved us that he was humbled enough to leave forever, eternity, and communion with God to come into this world. He so loved us that he said there's a divide between my creation and God. There's such a divide that I'm going to bring reconciliation between the two. He so loved us that he's like, you know what? I'm going to show you how to live in a way to please God. He so loved us that he was willing to go to Calvary's tree to die on the cross for our sins. He so loved us that he says, I know all of you have fell short. I know all of you have earned separation from me, but I also know that when I go to Calvary's tree, if you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you believe that God not only sent him, not only that he died, but that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus not only says Hesed is getting into other people's skin, Jesus is God's hesed to us because he came in our skin to reconcile us to God. Jesus is how God loves, but it's how we are to love. We sang a song, Good to Me, by my friend Audrey earlier. And one of my favorite lines she says is that Jesus was not too proud to wear our skin. Jesus was not too proud to know this weary world we're in. Never underestimate the fact that Jesus is not only alive, but Jesus came here. That everything you're going through, Jesus has been through. That Jesus asks you to forgive, not because he doesn't know betrayal, not because he doesn't know pain, not because he doesn't know hurt, but only because he wants to set you free. Amen? So what do we think about this blessed of the merciful, for we will be shown mercy, for they will be shown mercy? A few things. Number one. It's important for us to know that God asks us to forgive so we can look like him. That God expects us to forgive if we follow him. But please, please don't get to a point where you think you forgiving is going to force God to forgive you. To think you being good is what's going to determine whether or not God is good. Yes, Jesus is saying forgive for I've forgiven you, and if you don't forgive, there's going to be consequences. But Jesus' forgiveness to you is not dependent on you being good. It's dependent on God being good. Jesus' forgiveness and mercy to you is not dependent on you being perfect. It's based on God being perfect. Your forgiveness is because God is God. He's going to forgive you because he is love. Your forgiveness is not dependent on you being perfect, on you being so good that then God is forced into action. God is always mercy, amen? God is always love. He's always grace. He's always compassion. He will forgive. But if your forgiveness is not dependent on your goodness, you know what is dependent on your forgiveness? The people who've hurt you. They need your forgiveness to be set free. They need your forgiveness so they can know what God's love feels like. They need your forgiveness so they can know that they're not the worst thing they've ever done. They need your forgiveness to know that God is real. They need your forgiveness to know that God forgives. Your forgiveness is not determined on whether or not you forgive, but your sisters and brothers need you to forgive them. 
They need you to shine like Jesus. They need you to be like Jesus so that they can be set free. Because even though they might seem like they're scot-free, they're in chains because of that hurt. And they might continue that cycle of hurt, but you can help break that chain by simply forgiving them and setting them free. One of my goals, one of my hopes, one of my prayers is that us as a family, as a congregation, as a church, that we will be known for our mercy, that we will continue to be generous in deeds of deliverance, that in a world that's broken, in a world that's filled with darkness, in a world that needs Jesus at every turn, that they will look at us as a family and say, you know what? I love Harrisburg BIC. I love HBIC. Why? Because of their mercy, because of their love, because of their compassion. And that's something that we can all take up a little bit of our time in our own way in honoring God. If we're willing to be merciful, the world would know our Father through that mercy. Be compassionate, forgive, bring healing, give aid. Let your loyalty to God be shown by your love of others. There's a lot of different ways you can show you love God. An easy way that's a little hard is to be merciful. It's to be forgiving. It's easy to say, I love God and I belong to God. But you can show you love God and you belong to God by simply forgiving and doing that hard work of setting yourself free as well as the people who arm you. God has gifted you mercy. You might not need the math to see how big the mercy of Calvary's cross is, but God has gifted you mercy. God needs you to gift this world mercy. That's why we're here. That's why we're still breathing. That's why on this side of heaven, we are called to live and love like Jesus. Because when this world is hurting, you can give compassion. When this world is broken, you can give healing. When this world is dark, you can pull out your little flashlight, hold your hand with your sister who has her little flashlight, and you can say, let's walk to Jesus who is the light. Give mercy, because you have given much mercy. And lastly, simply this, God knows our world needs mercy. One of the things I've been saying for the last couple of years is, when you identify as a follower of Jesus Christ, you no longer get the privilege of complaining that the world is broken. You no longer get the privilege of saying the world's not as it should be. You no longer get the privilege of saying about everything that's wrong with the world. Because here's the little truth. God expects you to partner with him and your sisters and brothers to heal that brokenness, to shine that light in the darkness, to not complain, but to actually work for redemption, restoration, and reconciliation. If you call yourself a Christ follower this morning, leave the complaints at the door. Get down on your knees and start praying. Ask God to send you sisters and brothers to partner with you and let's get to work. Because this broken world needs our mercy. This dark world needs our mercy. This world that's not as it should be needs our mercy. Because if we give our mercy, partner with our God's great mercy, we can see a world redeemed. Amen? I'd like to invite the worship team back up. We're going to sing by singing a song, Lord, I Need You. As we sing this song, I also like to invite up any intercessors up front. Um, I like to invite up any pastors up front too so we can pray for you.
Because this morning, we all need God to give mercy. Amen? I think one of the things I've learned about these Beatitudes is that they always tell us that we need God and we need each other, and that's okay. So maybe this morning, you just need to say, God, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but I'm not just there yet. And maybe you need a sister or brother to put your hand on your shoulder and says, I will pray for you, not just now, but this week. Or maybe you're the one who's been done some brokenness or done some darkness and you, you, you want to be forgiven. You're not sure you can be forgiven. Maybe you just need God to say through the prayers of your sister and brother that you have been set free, that you are indeed forgiven. Give mercy because you have been given much mercy. But as we sing, Lord, I need you, take a moment to just reflect on what it means to need God and to need one another. Because not only does our world need mercy, we'll always need God's mercy, amen? And we can always take it all to God in prayer, amen? Let's stand and sing together.